And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The race is on and Alfa Romeo became the third team to launch its 2021 Formula One car with a new nose design and a few other details for us to get our teeth into. I'm Ed Straw, and joining me to talk all things Alfa Romeo are Gary Anderson and Mark Hughes. Well, Gary, we've we've taken uh, we've taken the opportunity to have your verdict on on the launches. So you've watched the Alfa Romeo one. What did you make of the the music based activities of this one? Um, well, I was a bit surprised they didn't have uh, Antonio Giovinazzi and Kimi dancing with those two girls at the beginning because that would have, you know dancing on ice or strictly come dancing. We could have been the judges really to see what would happen, but. Yeah, I mean, it's it's difficult to know because the re- releases seem to be losing their way. Um, I mean, I go back to the Jordan days when our first car was released in the corner of the workshop in, in Silverstone that we did get to have on Cirque du Soleil doing big things with the cars. But, you know, it never got any better by going away from what the, the press release for the car should be. It should be the car, the technical director, team principal, bit of a word with the two drivers probably. Um, you might want to leave Kimmy out of that because he doesn't say very much. But we want, we're all here keen and eager to see the car and uh, the dancing or playing the triangles or the fashion show uh, doesn't light my fire. So we're, we're going to rank them, what are they, number two in our current ranking. McLaren was the most, uh, was the most digressive one with its, uh, with, it, with its various musical activities and Alpha Tauri's probably been the most to the point. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say, um, yeah, McLaren's was the most sort of... Uh, yeah, something or other. I'm not quite sure what the word would be to use there. Disconnected, I suppose, from racing cars. Um, so, yeah, you know, it's, it's one of those sort of things where I'm interested in the car. I'm not interested in all the paraphernalia around it. Uh, we've also got Mark Hughes. You uh, you joined me in the press conference, which was quite fun because they kept turning off the sound and there was some random background music going and involved in it. But but we did we did get to hear a little bit about the uh, the car from Yamon Show, the technical director, and get a bit of a, a feel for it. So we'll, we'll take that as a win. 
Yeah, um, the one question that we didn't get time to ask, and which is the most obvious, is why it's the C41, and last year's car was a C39. So, what happened to the C40? Was it was it just thrown away? Was it a bad design? Or what? so? Yeah, that's that's the, the most pressing thing that uh, remains unanswered for me. I can actually answer the question. What is now the 2022 car project started before? So that was that was the C40 project. It gained its code. So next year's car is a C40. So we go backwards next year. Excellent. Whether the project name will be will be changed, so it's called the C forty two for next year. Who knows? But yeah, that, that's that's the reason for the uh, for the deficit in it. One of the vagaries of it. As soon as you launch a project, it gets its code. What do you make of that numbering system, Gary? Uh, confusing. I think is the best way of putting it. Let's let's hope that uh, Alfa Romeo have room to go backwards next year, um, as far as the car is concerned. But yeah, I do I do understand it is quite difficult actually. Whenever you set up your all your CAD system and all the numbering system for drawings and CFD analysis and all that sort of stuff, um, and then you get a change of regulation or change of year for the regulation coming in, it is quite difficult to go back and and sort of redo all that stuff. So I can I can sort of semi semi understand it and sympathise with them, but you'd probably put the effort in to try and at least make next one's a C42. Yeah, it causes a bit of confusion if you start counting down again. Uh, but even, even when they were BMW Saubers and they were F1.06s or whatever, they had the underlying Sauber, Sauber name. So it's uh, at least they've still got the naming tradition, even though they, those cars have been called different things over the years. Well, let's get straight into it, Gary. The main thing they've changed is the nose. They spent their development tokens on the nose. That said, it's not a, a revolution, should we say? I think they said it was an advanced evolution of the, of the old concept, but they have had to do a new nose box, modify the crash structure, etc. So, what did you make of that? And could it have gone a bit more aggressive? Um, well, it's a you know it's a difficult thing to say. Obviously, they've got the wind tunnel numbers compared to their old their old uh, nose, so they're they're evolving um, a, a sort of revised concept, I suppose you might call it. Uh, so I, I classify it as a bit more of a, a platypus type nose. It's a bit flatter and, and whatever at the front. It, it incorporates the you know the front duct in the nose, which again is something that sort of stops the uh, airflow separation around the front being so critical. But they're they're using the wing pillars and the 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 cape underneath the nose. It's, it's sort of got the duct into that uh, from the wing pillar. So it's it's quite a complicated solution to to that given problem. And the more complication you put in there, the more chances there's of getting it wrong. So it could be very easy to sort of not be as effective as they think in a perfect, um, you know, sort of modelling extreme in the wind tunnel. It's uh, as I say, it's a bit more complicated. Obviously, everybody can go more extreme, but you run out of time sometimes. You just have to get something made, and the nose is is a pretty dramatic piece of kit that has to withstand some severe crash testing. Um, so you want to get that all done and out of the way because. That can definitely influence your new car if you're uh, if you're starting to struggle to get to pass those tests. So, some point in time you have to decide on what you've got, and obviously Sauber have done that right now. It looks like it's a change. Looks like it's probably a benefit, and they're obviously buying into it with uh, spending a token on it. Yeah, I asked Jan Monchet why they didn't go a little bit more aggressively with it, as obviously we saw from teams like like Renault change last year and Mercedes in the past and and Red Bull, but obviously. They don't want to go too aggressive because some teams have had quite a lot of work to do to re-optimise, etc. So, Mark, are you are you not particularly surprised they haven't gone the, the whole hog, shall we say, with that? Um, yeah, I, I guess that would be fair enough. Um, the trend was started by Mercedes a few years ago, and Red Bull were onto it last year. And they they you know talking to the 
technical people there, they, they did experience trouble with it and the various vortices coming off the, the wing and the, and the cape, um, interfering with each other and interrupting that flow back to the barge boat. So it's, it's obviously not a straightforward thing to do. There's obviously see the benefits of it in the tunnel, but um, making it work exactly um, as, as an idealized version of it is maybe not so straightforward. And McLaren... You saw when they um, did their narrow and nose, they homologated it last year, so they didn't have to spend the tokens on it for this year. They had difficulty adapting with uh, adapting it too. It took uh, quite a few races before it was um, it was as good as the the old uh, wide nose. So it, it, yes, it's it's clearly uh, something that you have to develop over a, a period of time to to optimize. And uh, they they Alpha Tauri and Ferrari were, were the, the the sort of last three remaining wide nose uh, teams, and um, the, the Alpha Tauri and Alpha Romeo have stayed in that camp, and we'll just um, we'll see if Ferrari do too. Yeah, and you can see the argument, particularly for a, a smaller team, not going too aggressive with that because they don't want to keep updating the car during the season because they need to focus as much as they can on 2022. Obviously, that project, as we said, is is well underway. So they've said that they will have a few upgrades appearing early in the season, but then it'll pretty much be uh, be all guns blazing on the, on the 2022 car. That seems a sensible way to do it, doesn't it, Gary? You want to go for the improvements, don't you? But you don't want to overstretch yourself, particularly when you're a team that should have more low, low-hanging fruit to find elsewhere. Yeah, for sure. You, you know, you don't want to try to... Uh take everything to the limit and end up um, sort of hurting yourself a bit. I mean, one of the things about all this front-end stuff that we're talking about here is um, is the car's slip angle. I mean, the car the car slides around a corner at a certain angle. Because of these Pirelli tires, the slip angle is quite low. So, you know, gone are the days of seeing Ronnie Peterson sideways through a corner with his you know foot, foot planted on the throttle and, you know, the car sliding at sort of 10 degrees or something. The, these cars, the slip angle is way low, you know, two or three degrees at the very, very maximum. So basically, you know, you, you hone in your aerodynamic performance based on what the car does on the track. And so your you know, your maximum slip angle you'd have with these cars would be, as I say, I don't know what it really is in detail, but two or three degrees. So then you get a little bit of a crosswind. Uh, and that's that's what affects all these vortices. You, you know, you can get a crosswind that's equivalent to, five, eight, ten degrees of, of, of slip angle with these cars because the wind's blowing across the car at that angle. And then that changes everything. And, th- and that's why we hear teams or drivers complaining about their cars worse in, worse in wind than other, other cars. It's mainly because the car isn't designed to accommodate huge slip angles. It's designed to accommodate the minimum possible. So you've got to keep the car in a straight line, get the maximum downforce possible, which keeps the car in a straight line. And so it's a, it's a never-ending circle. But you've got to be very careful because you do get windy conditions and that can affect it. So that's why most teams find it a struggle to adapt. You know, you never get perfect conditions at a, at a racetrack. You can get perfect conditions in a wind tunnel, but you never get perfect conditions at a racetrack. And that's why you've got to adapt to the, the real performance of the car and the correlation between wind tunnel development and circuit development. And they also talked about a few other little changes that were a little bit harder to see. For example, front suspension. Obviously, these are all the little bits of details. Front suspension, I think it's a Race 1 2021 homologation, isn't it? So there's a bit of freedom still to be found there for those. And obviously, bargeable changes. We couldn't really see a great deal there. So this is all just kind of the re-optimization, isn't it, around uh, around the, the nose in terms of the barge boards and then the suspension, I guess, as, as you talked about before, Gary, trying to get some of the, the trickery in terms of the, the with lock-on, getting the, the nose a bit further close to the ground. 
Yeah, it's getting the nose further, closer to the ground, obviously, and trying to improve the front wing performance. But it's also jacking weight around the car. Um, you know, if you if you can unload the front tire a little bit in with more steering lock, then you will get less understeer through a you know a slow corner, and then you load that front tire up, the outside front tire up, um, a bit more for the fast corners, so you generate a little bit of understeer. The one thing about the front wing that sort of semi confuses me is how low it is at the outboard end where it joins the end plate because, um, you know, sensitivity comes from change of height to the ground on a front wing. And um, you can, it's, there's two or three ways of reducing sensitivity. If you raise the, the main plane up a bit, um, you can reduce the sensitivity, but you reduce its overall performance. Um, if you lower it down, then you have to find something else to reduce that sensitivity. And, you know, there are flap arrangements very, very low at the outboard end maximum at the inboard end they've even got sort of a little bit of a flat section on it where it comes to the maximum height so they're doing everything they can at inboard to generate the downforce but outboard they're doing very little to 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 help the sensitivity of the front wing so i'm not sure the philosophy right there because i think it's very very difficult if you've got the wing too low to the ground because it, it generates more and more downforce it gets closer to the ground and then at some point in time it stalls um so it's very inconsistent and well, yeah, I stick a question mark on that myself as to the the consistency of the downforce on the front axle from from that style of front wing. Mark, where do you stand in terms of the aero progress this team makes in general? Because obviously we can't have sky high expectations because they have been through the ringer financially going back a few years and obviously trying to build back up. But it does seem to have been a a bit of a period of stagnation in recent years, doesn't it? Where they've got facilities, they've got some good people, and I don't feel like they're making the most of what they've got, even if they do have limitations upon them. Yeah, it's it's true. It, the The development rate's not been that impressive for the last few seasons. Um, I can't help coming back to the fact that they're the only team still without the driver and loop simulator. They have it. And we asked the question in the, the press conference, how's that program coming along? And the tech director, Jean Monchot, more or less admitted it, that there's been no driver in loop uh, simulator um, involvement in the conception of this car. And it's something that they were hoping to get properly online last year, but the restrictions of the pandemic meant that they didn't. And so that they're hoping to get it properly online this year so they can have in, some input with it in the 2022 car. But I think of probably greater value of that bit of kit would be, say, if, if we go back to what Gary was talking about, the sensitivity of the front wing, if they discover that they do have a problem there and is different to what it was simulated, then that's exactly the sort of thing that they would be using a, a driver and loot simulator to work out what the problem was before they actually get to the track and have to have to waste a day to, or, or more um, trying to trace, trace what, whatever the problem is. So I think... That's probably going to be playing a big part in their fairly flat, what what has been for the last couple of years anyway, fairly flat development curve. I'm, I'm sure that's got to be playing a major part because of the, everybody else is up and running with them and has been for quite quite a time. Um, the, well, the thing about the driver and loop simulation is that you can, you know, from from session to session or day to day when you're at a racetrack, you can try various different setups to try and you know realize your problems that you have at the track. So it does on a given race weekend. The driver in the loop simulation is quite a, quite a, a powerful tool, as long as the information you've got and it is correct. In other words, the aero maps, uh, the tire characteristics, and only time 
and, and running it will actually mean that you sort of correlate that data and then it, it becomes effective for you. As far as developing the car and, and giving them directions, you know, what you can do is, is create different error maps, theoretical error maps, and you try that and you're driving the loop simulator. So you, you create an error map that has a, a, a lot more, um, let's say, um, ground effect from the front wing so the, th- the car is more sensitive and you see if that takes you forward and you see what the driver thinks about it. Or you create one that's got less sensitivity to the ground so you can, again, get the feedback from the driver. So you can create, you know, theoretical scenarios to try and help you with the direction of, of your car design. Um, so it's a, a really, really powerful tool, both for car de- design and development, car research, and weekend um, performance gains from session to session or, or day to day. So if you haven't got that, you're missing the major part now in Formula One. It's, you know, it's as major a part as anything else. You're, you're still doing it, you know, you're still sticking your finger up in there to see which way the wind's blowing. And that's gone, you know, 10 years ago, that went out the window, really. It doesn't happen. So they need to join the club um, and get all the tools in place that they need to, to do it right. Now, arguably, although we've talked about the aero on the car, the most significant thing will be the bit in the back that we can't see, the Ferrari power unit. Mark Ferrari have been optimistic about what they can achieve with this. How confident do you think a customer team like Alpha should be? Is this going to be eliminated as a fundamental limiting factor this year, or do you think they still could be playing catch-up a little bit? Oh, you would hope that that's more or less going to... Uh, largely disappear at worst because um, the deficit last year came about as a very, very late notice um, reinterpretation, let's say, of, of the, how you were supposed to apply the the technical regulations regarding fuel flow and oil burn and electrical deployment. And they were, they, they were effectively, they were stuck with that engine, with that spec of engine to for, for the balance of the season. But for this year, you can... Um, you can change all the main elements of that, and they've been Ferrari been working on that since May time last year, in really making sure that this is optimised around the current interpretation um, of of the regs, and they're making very um, hopeful noises from Maranello. They, they say they're not coming in saying it's going to be the best engine, but they're saying we're absolutely confident it's going to be a competitive engine. So I don't see why it would be like. 65 horsepower down like it was last year it, 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 so you know if it's if as long as it's there or thereabouts i don't think the uh, the two customer teams need to be uh looking to that as, as a as a major concern yeah the, the thing for me is obviously that the, the power unit um is a, a critical component you know you, you're only you're a passenger when it comes to to using the car uh if you haven't got the power so you need to have that as much as everybody else if you're going to be really competitive. The thing that you know is decent to look at is that between 2019 and 2020, Haas and um, Alfa Romeo lost less in performance and overall performance than Ferrari lost. So in effect, for their chassis, they did a better job than Ferrari did because they had the same power unit, or theoretically they're supposed to have the same power unit, and I'm sure that I'm sure that's so. So. Ferrari lost a lot in the chassis, lost a lot in the power unit, and uh, Alfa Romeo and Haas lost a lot in the power unit, but they lost less overall than, than Ferrari, as I say. So if they can get that level of performance back up again to be you know, relative to Honda or Renault even, um, then you know, they're in a good position, to be honest. They, they have a chance to do a good job. Um, so this you know, 2021 is going to be the first time we'll see a true representation, I suppose you might call it, of what Alfa Romeo could be they've still got Kimmy in the car we know Kimmy's quick 
Um, Giovinazzi still got a question mark hanging beside him. I think he's quick on his day, but he just, just doesn't seem to be consistent enough. But definitely with Kimmy, we can, we can get a reference pretty quickly. So I think we'll know um, pretty soon whether or not Ferrari are, are right up there with Alfa Romeo's performance because I think they you know, do a decent job. The driver question's an interesting one there. They've obviously got the same lineup, so that's not an upgrade. Although Raikkonen is still, you know, he's a good solid driver. You know what you get with him. Giovinazzi's been a little bit erratic, although there is a good driver in there. What do you make of that, Mark? I, I must admit, I I feel like when you look there up against a team like Williams that's got George Russell, they can't match that level, can they, in terms of uh, in terms of the drivers they've got in the car. Do you think that's an area where they're giving a little bit away, or do you think that the experience of Raikkonen and the kind of moderate experience of Giovinazzi in his third season with the team will will serve them well? I think in terms of one-lap pace, yeah, you, you might well be giving a couple of tenths away to somebody like George Russell. Um, so that depending on what part of the grid they find themselves in, that, that might be highly sensitive to grid position or it might not be. Um, but in terms of, yeah, putting a, a good, consistent race weekend together, you know, Kimmy's of a, a set level, you know, r- roughly where you are with, with Kimmy. I would like to see a, a more aggressive choice in the in the second seat, given that Giovinazzi's had a couple of years um, to prove himself, um, so I, and I still keep thinking back to the um, twenty seventeen season when they had Charles Leclerc in there, who was a rookie at the time, and he was doing some. Um, he was put, pushing that car up in some very unfamiliar places by the second half of the for the year. Now it could just be that the car was in a very sweet spot relative to his competition, but I, you, you got to question whether having those that special sort of driver in which. You know, we know. I think we can agree that Charles um, is, and and probably in hindsight was then once he got into the swing of Formula One, or George and the Russell, uh, George Russell and Williams. Um, I th- yeah, I think you, you 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 should really a team in Alpha's position should really be on the lookout for the next young guy that it can put in that can squeeze the odd couple of tenths from it on on a Saturday, and, and you know it, it does it can sort of drive the team on. Well, by my understanding, Giovinazzi basically owes his place to Alfa Romeo because that that deal continuing this year wasn't a foregone conclusion. And I believe they they favoured having a, an Italian driver in there. Obviously, his Ferrari contracted, he is, a, he is a decent driver, but he's been a little bit frustrating to me in, in recent years because I think he, he is a driver with ability, but it's not always shown, should we say. It's not always uh, delivered. But mentioning Alfa Romeo, Gary, they're in a strange position because the Alfa Romeo deal, it runs out at the end of this year. The general feeling is it won't be extended. We can't rule it out, but it looks like that's going to be gone. They haven't done the Ferrari deal, as far as we know, for for next year. They probably will, because they've used Ferrari engines and gearboxes for a long time. But if you were a technical director of that team, would that situation worry you? You know, a major backer, potentially not replaced as yet, a few key technical details still potentially up in the air? That, that would That would concern you a bit, wouldn't it? Yeah, it's it's more of frustration, really, to be honest, than anything. I mean, if they are committed to the Ferrari engine and gearbox package, um, then that's okay. It's from a technical point of view, you know where you're going, you know what you're doing, um, and the budget then you know should be in somebody else's hands. You know, as we know that there's budget control coming in, um, but I don't think Cyber would be you know would be maximising their budget at the moment or what that budget control will be. Um, so it's one of those sort of situations where I think as a technical director, you have to sort of devoid yourself of that side of the thing. You have to try to do the best job you can with the bits, bits and pieces of the engineering side that you've got and try and improve 
everything that you have. But as I said, you know, Sauber to me over the last few years, Sauber I call it loosely because the car is still built by Sauber. Sauber's still in the name there somewhere. I think it's engineered by Sauber, they call it now. It's uh, Alfa Romeo's, to be honest, as a sponsor on top of it. Um, so the car is still built by Sauber and, and they haven't shown a sort of focus, a true direction of where they're trying to get to. And even at that press release, you know, Frederick Vassar was saying, you know, the objective is to improve. You know, sometimes you need to kick the cat. Sometimes you need to understand that you're put out there what you're going to try and achieve. And you get beaten up for it, but it shows that you have a commitment, you know, and you're trying to drive the team in that direction. You know, if you say you want to finish fifth in the championship, well, then go ahead and have a go at it. If you don't finish fifth in the championship, people will abuse you, but at least you had a challenge, you had a goal, you had a, you'd set an incentive for the team to try to work to, as opposed to this sort of, well, we'll try to do better than we did last year. You know, that, that solution never gets you anywhere. It's, it's, you have to put numbers in there nowadays and try to achieve it. And you, you have to, you have to just be able to take that whenever people beat you up. But, uh, that's my thing about them. They never really seem to commit themselves to anything. And they just they just get lost in, in themselves. And, you know, over the weekend, we hear on the media, we, you know, you're always, there's always interviews with the Williams teams and the, the you know, Racing Point or Alfa Torre or Mercedes or Ferrari or, you know, Red Bull, all of that. But Sauber seems to slip under the under the, the radar. It just doesn't seem to be standing up there saying anything or doing anything, you know, that, that makes them a team that anybody wants to sort of, or that a lot of people want to sort of jump in with and, and, and see a commitment from them. Yeah, they have been a team that aren't the most forthcoming, should we say, in terms of being willing to talk about what they're doing, which is a shame because sometimes there have been times when they have been going well as they were in 18 and it just seems to be that there's this sort of default, don't say a, a great deal, which is strange. But we did hear, uh, Fred Vasseur did say the long-term aim is to get back to the front of the midfield. He didn't really say what constitutes the, the long-term. But Mark, obviously the focus for that team technically does need to be 2022. We'll say this about all the teams ultimately, but for a team like that, it is a chance to take a, a big step forward. It's the reset. Yes, it's going to take time for the cost cap and the better distribution of funds and everything to really equalise things more. It's not going to equalise them completely, but that has to be the priority for them, doesn't it? Hit the ground running next season. Yeah, the smaller the team, and 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 Sauber still is one of the smaller teams. The smaller the teams, the 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 more you're taken from this year. Um, the more sorry, the more you're taken from next year in in, in developing this year's car. So yeah, you, you probably if if you th- if you recognise fairly early in the season where your level is, and there, there isn't a, a, an achievable jump to the the next position, say in a constructors' championship. Well, it would it would make sense. To switch off quite early and focus on 22, yeah. Well, you know, I, I use the other philosophy that in reality, you know, everything you're doing for 2022, you're making decisions on what is correct, the correct direction. It's it's all new regulations, so everybody's doing exactly the same thing. So, you, you know, you have to make those decisions, but you still have to make those decisions based on on your ability to read what a car should be like on the racetrack. And if you don't show that now, why should you be good in 2022? Why can why should you with the stability of regulations that we've had? Yes, the small changes for this year. The small changes are based around the car you had last year, so you you you're sort of got a lesser area of development, I suppose you'd call it, going into twenty twenty one than you you have than you had in the last in previous years. So it's easier steps to take for twenty twenty one from twenty twenty. 
But it's massive steps to take for 2022. So you're going to have to make some major decisions as to the direction of that development. And I wouldn't have confidence as a team running at the back to go into a new set of regulations thinking that I could do better than the Mercedes or the Red Bull or whoever that was at the front without proving it to myself that all of these developments are in the right direction and I'm making good decisions. So I think you have to pursue development in 2021 to, to just get confidence in yourself. And coming back to the car, obviously this is another one with the the modified rules, the different floor uh, regulations with that cutaway towards the back, the diffuser. Have you noticed anything, Gary, so far in the trends about what impact this is having? Obviously, you've picked up on the fact that the double T-wings seem to be cropping up on the launch cars quite a bit. Yeah, it's the same old deal. That, you know, Again, the, the Pirelli tyres react to load um, quite dramatically, so you have to get the downforce in them. I mean, it's, that's the thing about it. The more downforce you put into these tires, more load you put into these tires, the more you can get them into their working window. And so it's a, it's a double whammy all the time. You know, we look at Mercedes being at the front all the time, um, and Red Bull biting at their heels on some occasions. And, and that's just because they've got more downforce in the car and they get the tires to generate their, into their working window. So then they get the benefit of that as well. So, it's not only an aerodynamic disadvantage that the cars have, you know, if you've got less downforce, it's, it's the fact you can't get the tyres into that working window as well. It's so much more difficult. And we see it a bit like a light switch now and again. You know, some cars just suddenly will appear on a given day. We've seen it with Haas actually last year on a few occasions. Kevin Magnussen was up there in the top 10 comfortably on a few occasions. But then they go out and qualify and they can't even get anywhere near it. So, you know, it can come and go like a light switch very, very easily. And uh, it's it's a function of just that little bit that tips the, the car, the t- tire over and gets into the working window or not into the working window. And that's where Mercedes and the, the front team, front running teams benefit all the time. Um, so they need to pursue downforce levels in the T-wing. Uh, there's lots of things on there now pursuing lesser efficient downforce because they know that they need to up the downforce level to basically get themselves in a position where um, they can get the tire loads there. But Last year with the Ferrari engine, they weren't able to do that very well because the engine was performing badly. So the compromise between downforce and, and hence drag relative to engine power is the big compromise. If you've got more power and you've got more downforce, you're going to do pretty well because you'll get more out of the tyre. And if you've got less downforce and less power, yeah, you're um, you're beaten before you even start. And getting to the summing up phase, Mark, what do you expect from Alpha this year? I know we've got no pace to look at or anything, but we know where they were last year. So the big question is, should we expect this team still to be in that little discrete group of three at the back, off the back of the midfield, or or can it aspire to kind of latch onto the rear of the midfield, which occasionally it was chipping away at doing on it on its few really strong weekends last year? It should be completely realistic for them. I mean, they weren't in, in terms of lap time, they weren't that far away. They were just they were consistently in among that last three that bunch of bottom three teams but the lap time gap to the the bottom of the the next group was was small and 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 bridgeable so i don't see why especially as as gary was talking about um with a a significant power upgrade which is going to allow you to not only you know put the power put more power on the track but it, it puts the the arrow in a better place so yeah, absolutely. It should be bridgeable. That that it should it should be mixing it among that second group, um, and realistically, it, it you know given that um, Haas has a very limited um, development um, facilities available to it for this year, um, and as more or less said as much, it 
it should be able to pull away from from the from that. So, yeah, I think it would be defeatist not to think that they couldn't get an, in among that midfield. Yeah. Well, they have been eighth in the last three seasons. So, Gary, what do you think? Do you think it's going to be eighth again, or do you think they can aspire to a little bit, a little bit better, realistically? I think they need to keep their uh, their fingers crossed as to what the spacer between the back of the chassis and the gearbox can do. Um, that's a major, major part of it. Um, it's going to be a major, major part of their step in performance because at the minute I'm not seeing anything too exciting on the car, to be honest. Um, you know, it's it's all given time and, uh, and you know, all these little details of the barge boards, which we can't really see at the minute, all those little turning veins and stuff. You know, it's about exploiting those surfaces to generate more vortices or generate more downforce from the areas that do produce downforce. And at the end of the day, you know, you can't really see that in detail. So it's going to be down to to performance on the track and the, the main step in performance for them should come from the, as I say, the spacer from the chassis to the gearbox. If Ferrari do a good job there, then they'll benefit from it relative to all the other teams and so will Haas. If Ferrari don't do a good job from that, then um, I think you know it's time to sort of think about maybe a move um, with engine engine supplier, I suppose. Well, that might explain why they're hedging their bets a little bit in terms of their new longer term deal. But yeah, certainly they should be able to do better than last year because last year was a, was a pretty poor season, only eight points scored. They've obviously got more races this year, which already is an opportunity, but yeah, they should be stronger. How much stronger? It's hard to pick out any teams in that midfield group they can pick off over the season that's that's the main downside but at least being in that group at the, at the back of it would be a good step forward oh, well thanks very much gary and mark for your insight do head to the race.com and don't forget the hyphen loads to read there including gary's in-depth analysis of what he's seen on the car do check out our other podcasts including bring back v10s which tells classic f1 stories and check out our youtube channel just search for the race thanks for listening and we'll be back next time probably tomorrow with a look at the new red bull